Honaso. I'd like to be, begin with just a couple of brief comments, and then we'll go right to the meditation. Uh, first of all, a correction, which I really want to thank Joe Farmerfeld for. Everybody in podcast, this is where the real news comes from. Uh, but I'm truly grateful. Uh, I have not studied the Jonang tradition in any depth at all, and I don't know its history. Uh, one of my very cherished and revered lamas is, uh, is the late Kalka Jitsin Rinpoche, who is also a very, very close guru of Natu. And so, and I had the wonderful opportunity to translate for him on two of his visits, his first one and his second visit to the United States. Just tremendous privilege and honor. He's passed away, and I think they'll be looking for his um, re-embodiment quite soon, I imagine within, within a year. Extraordinary Lama. There's a whole story that I won't share, but after the retreat's all over, if you'd like to know more about the Jonang tradition, I think, I know Joe, Joe has a lot more knowledge than I do, and about this extraordinary Lama than Natu after the retreat was over, where she might, uh, you might, if you're interested. So, oh, but the point is, the correction is, that the Jonama tradition is not, I was simply misinformed, and it's not an area I've studied. The Jonama tradition is not a sub-school of anything, not of the Kaikyu tradition or any other tradition. It is its own tradition. Uh, it has a unique lineage. If, if it, if it, it, in all of the lineages, I mean, Padmasambhava, okay, he is Padmasambhava, so Nyingma traditions stem from Padmasambhava, Varotsana, Vimalamitra, and so forth. Um, but the, uh, the Gelugpa tradition stems from multiple traditions, because uh, Tsongkhapa trained with masters from all of them, including Nyingmapa. And the Jonamba, if one looks for any precedent, as Joe just informed me, it would be more the Sakya tradition, not the Gaikyu. But be that as it may, it's not a subsect of the Sakya tradition either. It's its own tradition, has a unique heritage and a, a uniquely rich, truly a uniquely rich heritage, especially of Kala Chakra especially of Kalaja, quite extraordinary. And I did receive some personal instruction from Kalkajitsan Dhammarambache, and he said when it comes to the six-phase yoga, the Shadanga yoga, uh, that the Jonamba is just unsurpassed, really utterly remarkable. And that's not simply, and not simply a kind of a, a claim, but actually they manifest. Uh, it's, it's, they practice the Kala Chakra more than any other tradition. Galupas have a very fine tradition there. Mostly scholarly, but there are some adepts. But the Jonamba, this is the central piece. So, thank you for that correction. Um, I'm hoping to learn more about it. I'm hoping also that we'll invite one or more great adepts from the Jonamba tradition to this uh, virtual reality of a mind center and contemplative observatory in Santa Barbara. Uh, so that is my aspiration, because I have great reverence for that tradition. So that's one point. Good. And then another one. Uh, Shane very kindly pointed out to me, or it was at least implicit in what he said yesterday, that in speaking of silence here, I never really clearly stated what, that, what, what the intention was. I simply said that let our default mode be that of silence, but when the occasion arises where it's more meaningful to engage in speech, then by all, by all, all, all means do so. That's about all I said. But I think a couple more comments could be helpful, uh, but I want to preface that by saying that uh, I've already said all that I really needed to say, and that is our default mode here is silence. But when it's really meaningful to speak, then by all, by all means do so. So that's the bottom line. Now that's, So having said that, though, this is a Dzogchen retreat, and being a Dzogchen retreat, it's totally embedded in Vajrayana, but Vajrayana is embedded in Mahayana. Um, and so this is not a Shravakayana retreat or a Theravada retreat. Uh, it is a Mahayana retreat. And therefore, the ambience is a bit different. You know, it's it's diff for a very simple reason that if one is following the 
any of the various schools of the Shravakayana, and the most prominent one nowadays, of course, is the Theravada, uh, it is very clearly, unabashedly, uh, a pursuit of your own individual liberation in a benevolent, non-violent way. But there you are. It is your own individual liberation you want from here, there, and you are out, and you will never want to come back again. Uh, that is clearly a different ambience than the Bodhisattva ideal, right? Of even being willing to follow the Bodhisattva yana and stay for three countless eons, uh, three countless eons to achieve enlightenment, and being of service in every single incarnation along that path. Uh, I can't help but quote Shantideva here when he's looking at that. I mean, the possibility of achieving your own liberation, may, you know, within just a few lifetimes or three countless eons. I mean, there's just simply no comparison between those two, and Shantideva. Uh, deep into his classic text, the most widely read, studied, and practiced Tibet text in all of Tibetan Buddhism, a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. He's looking at that. It's well into the, I think maybe into the meditation chapter, the eighth chapter, I'm pretty sure. And he's looking at that. He's kind of, it seems like he's weighing it, you know. And here on the one hand, I could just get out quickly, you know. He is already a very ripe individual, so it probably wouldn't have taken him too long. So I could just kind of make a fast escape and wish everybody well on the way out, you know? Good luck! I'll even leave you a book, you know, and then gone, you know? Uh, That was an option. Or he could take on, because there's no reference to Vajrayana, Dzogchen, anything like that in in the Bodhicaravatara, or take on this responsibility of achieving perfect enlightenment, which may take three countless eons or longer, and he's weighing that, you know? Imagine, really, from your, from your very core of your being, looking at, I'm allowed to follow either one. This Buddha Dharma is very broad, has many doors, many, many paths, and I can follow either one. And he's looking at three countless eons or longer in samsara, birth after birth after birth. I mean, having just in a human, human existence, having to come to the u- uterine canal, how many times would that be? And they all come out screaming, right? None of them come out with a happy face, like, that was fun, let's do it again. You know? So just that, let alone aging, sickness, and death, I mean, they're not a piece of cake either. So it's kind of miserable in the beginning, and then a lot of misery in the middle, and then the end is like, you're old, ugly, sick, and you die. So that's not... You really want to continue with that three countless eons. You know? And he's weighing that. And he, and he poses to him. It's really one of the most moving passages among many in this marvelous text. He poses to himself, do I really need to take, on myself, take upon myself the suffering of all sentient beings? Do I really need to do that? Is that really my responsibility? Is that my lot? He poses that just to himself, like he just casts that thought up into the sky. And then the answer comes back from the space of his own mind. Yes, you do. And the answer is, why? And the answer is, because suffering has no owner. Suffering has no owner. And therefore, the suffering of anyone is your suffering. And you have to be free from all of it, right? So, so then he had to be a bodhisattva. There was no option left, right? So, so you can see then the ambience is different, which means in the Theravada tradition, in 
Theravada retreats, and I've been to some of them. Burmese teacher, lived in Sri Lanka, Thai teacher. When their interpretation of silence, this whole notion of noble silence, I think is a 20th century invention, but it's nice, but maintaining silence, it is exactly, Jane described it perfectly, accurately, and that is eyes down, just maintain your presence of mind, your composure, remain contained. Don't let your eyes be drifting out there where it can be your mind, especially for beginners like us, the mind can be so easily catalyzed for craving, attachment, hostility, aversion. Keep, you know, keep, keep your eyes down. When monks, and I was a monk for 14 years, when your, a monk is walking, especially in a very busy place, you keep your eyes down one yoke's length, about six feet in front of you, if people come up, you really don't ga- raise your gaze. You maintain your presence, poised, mindful, ardent, non-violent, hopefully with a very loving, open heart, but in terms of your senses, very contained. It's called restraining the senses. So that's a monastic ideal. And a couple of years ago, here in, in Tanyapura, uh, one of our retreats, I think it was an eight-week retreat, we, we hosted, there was a special holy day, and we hosted a group of monks, local monks, maybe a dozen of them. They came here and we made an offering. So, and it was all or- organized by the front desk, and so they, they did everything for us, but we, ma- we paid for the offerings. These monks came. I never saw their eyes. Their eyes, you know, when they were receiving the offerings, I never saw their eyes. Their eyes were always down, even when right in front of them, their eyes were always down. Right? And then they accepted the offerings and they went on their way, but there was really no personal contact at all, no face-to-face whatsoever. And in this, Thai, in this Thai community, which is overwhelmingly Theravada Buddhist, that's simply, but that's what monks do. That's, they're maintaining their composure, they're keeping their minds pure. Uh, there might have been attractive women among our group, I, I don't remember, but the monk isn't going to risk it. Or there might have been some really ugly men, who knows, I can't remember that either. But the monk's not going to risk it, either aversion or craving, just keep the eyes down. And the lay people would like to, to accrue some merit by making offerings. We accept it, and we apply ourselves to dharma. So, this, so if we were monks here, and we we're walking around Tanyapura, or walking out on the streets and so forth, if we had our eyes down at all times, they would totally understand. Yeah? We're not. But before I say anything else, uh, for everybody here, period. No, there's no exceptions, nobody this way or that way, just everybody. If you'd like to maintain that kind of um, Shravagayana style of silence, it has tremendous nobility to it. So there's a reason they call it noble silence. And if that's your choice, continue or take, begin it today and know that I will say, I will speak for all of us, nobody stands in judgment. Nobody stands in judgment. If that is your choice, that does not mean that you're selfish. But you're following the Shravakayana instead of the Mahayana. It does not mean that, does not imply that. All it means to me, when I see that, upon anybody here, is you're really focused in your practice, maintaining composure of mind, protecting your mind from the arousal of mental afflictions. And that is only noble. So I mean every word of that. So, So whether you've been doing this all along, whether you start today, whether you start in one week, if at any time that's your choice, Maybe you want to do it in the mornings and not in the afternoons. In the afternoons, not in the morning. Maybe you want to do it every other day. It's your choice, and I will speak for all of us. Nobody will pass any judgment on it. It's simply an expression of you know, your, 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 your practice. But at the same time, so that's full stop, and no but. But I've finished that sentence, okay? And now, what about a Mahayana take on silence? 
what about a Mahayana? Yeah, what's a Mahayana take? Because have you ever heard it? And so I thought, well, this is a Mahayana retreat. Why don't we get that too? And who better to go to than Shantideva? So Shantideva, please, would you please visit us? We have uh, 40 people here eager to hear what you have to say. Yeah, yeah Shantideva's where? He's, Shantideva's coming. He's about to enter the room. <laughs> Shantideva speaking. This is from the fifth chapter, a, an extraordinary chapter, a beautiful chapter. It's called Introspection. From the fifth chapter of the Guide of the Bodhisattva Way of Life, verses 79 to 80. So, just reading the first verse. And this is, like, I would suggest, I'm going to contextualize that for this retreat. Let your ground state be your voice resting in its natural state, which is effortless silence. That's where it rests. just rests, right? But when the occasion arises where you feel, and it's your own judgment, again, nobody else is, not I or anybody else, I'm just going to, again, speak for everybody. If you decide to speak, whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's in the afternoon, you're speaking with somebody else, you're not disturbing anybody else's practice, but you find it more meaningful to speak, no one here is going to pass judgment. But then if you do speak, how to speak? How to speak? Well, Shantideva answers that question. In a soft and gentle voice, one should speak sincere, coherent words that have clear meaning and are agreeable, pleasant to the ear, and rooted in compassion. So I'm listening to that myself, just in case anybody was wondering. So that's what he says. When you rise from noble silence, that's noble speech. Okay? And then, in terms of walking about, um, and I would suggest this, this is just a suggestion, but we're not monks, and so the, 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 lay, the, the, the Thai people around us do not regard it as monks because we're not, right? And so they regard us as lay people, and over the Tanyapura, they, 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 can they can't tell the difference between us and you know, people just coming to swim. And you know that Thailand is called the land of smiles. And I have really found that to be remarkably true, and I have not found it to be contrived or insincere. Now that we have this kind of enclosed place, I do my walking within Tanyapura, but for years, you couldn't walk around in here. It was all mud, and there were no roads and so forth, the pathways. So I'd go walking out on the street. Uh, that would be my daily walk. It was quite remarkable. I've never been to any country like this. I'd be out there on the street, and, and people would buy, ever so often be driving by on their, little, uh, their scooters or little motorcycles, or they'd be walking the other way. I tell you, every single time, they would make eye contact, and there would be a genuine smile. And I'm not a tourist, and we're not in the tourist part of Phuket. Uh, but I remember one fellow, he was, he, uh, every time he saw me, he had, he had a little, little motorcycle, little kind of side, side cart. He was a merchant of some kind. Uh, there was such a warm smile on him every time we passed. He would be driving, and I'd just see him, and I would always make eye contact with him. And he would just look at, he would, he'd get, this is an ordinary layperson, as far as I know. Maybe he's a great saint, I don't know. But uh, there was such warmth that I started kind of looking forward to just see him, seeing him pass. And I would flash my smile, he'd flash his smile. And, I, and so we kind of, because I did it, I went it every day and often I went, when I was out, he was, he was on his rounds. And uh, that was just one instance. But I remember so vividly now. And that's just seeing a person drive by on a little scooter, right? But there really, there is something here. This is a Buddhist country. And boy, it has problems for sure. But there is something of a warmth there. And so I would encourage you, but nobody's going to monitor this, nobody will judge. But when you're out and about, 
and Thai, you see Thai people, um, you make eye contact with them because they will with you, and oh, open your heart. You know, they will. Then that will be reciprocated. They will because it happens to me all the time. My eyes are up when I'm walking. That's my choice. I'm a Dharma teacher here. I'm not simply in retreat, and it's always the same. You know, the eye contact, the, the friendly gesture. It's very nice. I just want to say again, if you'd like to keep your eyes down, that's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. No judgment at all. But now what does Shantideva say? Now in this Bodhisattva mode, right? He said, hmm, one should always look straight at sentient beings, look straight at them, right in their eyes, as if drinking them in with the eyes, thinking, relying on them alone, I shall attain Buddhahood. So those are our choices. I mean, we have many, many choices. You can also, so many of these Thai women are really attractive. If you want to ogle them and arouse craving and lust, you can do that too. It is your choice. It's your choice. And there was one elderly woman here, elderly, like uh, about one year older than me. That makes her elderly. And uh, it was amazing. She was was really meditating well, but she's finding her, she's, again, my age, that means post-menopausal, right? I think so. And she was meditating, meditating, and finally her libido was coming up like hadn't been there for 30 years. And she said, I'm looking at these young Thai men and va-va-va, boom, they're hot. <laughs> so that's where you want to go. I mean, a lot of these Thai men, you know, sleek, trim, muscular bodies. You know. Every one of these Thai women seeming to be more feminine than the last one you've seen. If that's where you want to go, you can do that. <laughs> or if you like to follow the Theravada approach, protect your mind. That's noble silence. And if you would like to follow that approach that Shantideva just said, that's clearly, absolutely in accordance with the Mayan ideal. So it's your choice. And you can make different choices at different days, although I would suggest, you know, kind of go light on their really hot. Go light on that one. Right. Everybody understand that one? You probably don't want to linger there on these really attractive young Thai men and women. Maybe you, can, maybe you can kind of ease off on that one. At least until after the retreat. Then it's your choice. Olasu. So I hope that was all clear. That was for everybody here. And it's time to meditate. So let's go back. Jesus, <laughs> 
Guru Pema Siddhi Hum Hum Orge Yuki Nupsam Sam Pema Gesa Dombola Yansen Joki Mudurne Pema June Shisuta Guru Kando Mambuko Keki Jesu Dabduki Jingi Lapji Shaksu Suru Pema Sidi Hum Hum Orge Yuki Nucham Sam Pema Gesa Dombona Yamsen Joki Mudunye Pema June Shesu Da Godu Kando Mambuko Keki Jesu Datuki Jingi Lapji Shaksu Su Guru Pema Siddhi
would like to shift your posture, please do so now. Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states as you've done before. Turn this morning to the meditative cultivation of compassion, which is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's an aspiration. Clearly emotion comes with it, but the emotion by itself is simply empathy or sympathy. But it is not compassion. Compassion is an aspiration that arises out of empathy out of knowing. So it is an aspiration that we may all be free of suffering and its causes. And yesterday we attended especially to what is called the suffering of suffering, obvious, evident suffering that we identify as such, be it physical pain or mental distress. This compassion is an aspiration that we be free of suffering, but not only suffering itself, but its underlying causes. Therefore, it must be imbued with wisdom. So this morning we turn to a deeper dimension of suffering. It's called the suffering of change. The suffering here is not intrinsic to change itself. It is the suffering that comes as a byproduct of attachment, the mental affliction of craving and attachment. Where we look in all the wrong places to find freedom from suffering and all the wrong places to find happiness. Again, I quote Shantideva, While we seek to be free of suffering, we hasten right after the causes of suffering. 
And while we wish to be happy, out of delusion, we destroy the very causes of our happiness as if they were our foe. So in this modern world of ours where there is such an, an epidemic of low self-esteem, lack of self-worth, self-loathing, self-hatred, and so on, it is timely in such a world to begin the meditative cultivation of compassion for oneself rather than standing in judgment upon ourselves feeling inadequate, unworthy. Let's replace that by viewing ourselves with compassion. And review, if you will, as we begin this practice, ways in the past, in your own past, in which your own mind has fallen under the domination of craving and attachment, or any of the attractions of this desire realm. And meditate deeply with the eyes of wisdom how such pursuits driven by craving and attachment are always fraught with anxiety, a sense of being ill at ease, agitation, dissatisfaction. And just simply, sooner or later, the hammer comes down and there is once again manifest suffering. Without looking at others for the time being, just look at your own life trajectory. Is this true or not? Observe your own life. your best approximation, view your own life, your own identity, and your mind from the perspective of Rigpa. Symbolize this is radiant orb of light at your heart, primordially pure, This place where the Buddha's mind, the Lama's mind, your mind, all merge indivisibly. View yourself with compassion.
didn't choose to have mental afflictions. We came with them. And they afflict us. But there is hope. It doesn't always need to be so. So with each in-breath, arouse heartfelt compassion for yourself, the yearning to be free, to be free of the suffering of change and its underlying causes of attachment and craving. From the depths of your heart, arouse the wish, the aspiration, and bring forth the vision that this is indeed possible be loving, to be engaged, warm and affectionate, to have intimate relationships, to be a parent, a spouse, a child, a brother and a sister, but without any of these relationships being contaminated by craving and attachment. Imagine it. With each in-breath arouse this yearning, may I be free of the suffering of change and its underlying causes of craving and attachment. And with each in-breath, if you will, imagine such suffering and its causes in the form of a darkness enshrouding your being. With each in-breath, siphon that in, draw it in, into this orb of light at your heart, and let that darkness be drawn in and extinguished without trace with each in-breath. Imagine being free, all that darkness vanishing. Having moved your awareness into this field of possibility, of potentiality, now direct your awareness to the space of the mind and bring to mind 
anyone you know, either directly or perhaps just by way of the media, someone you've never met, who, as far as you can tell, is suffering. Suffering because of the suffering of change, suffering because of craving and attachment. Without craving and attachment, there's no suffering in the nature of change itself. It's just change. But with this mental affliction, we are always prone to suffering. So bring such a person to mind. Bring their suffering to mind, their mental afflictions to mind. no sense of judgment and absolutely no sense of superiority. Simply sentient being to sentient being or viewing them from your own Buddha nature. With each in-breath arouse the aspiration, may you, like myself, be free of suffering of change and its underlying causes. And with each in-breath, as you've done before, imagine drawing in the darkness of suffering and its causes drawing it into this orb of light at your heart, extinguishing it there. Because in our normal interactions with other people, when we withdraw our desires, our our cravings and attachments, we also withdraw our affection. Because ever so often, our warmth, our affection is totally mingled with self-centered attachment and desire for our own gratification. So when one is pulled back, so is the other. And instead of attachment, we respond with aloofness, with indifference, out of one mental affliction into another. Imagine that not being the case. As you bring this person to a mind, imagine them becoming free, totally free, of the mental afflictions of craving and attachment. But all the warmth, the kindness, the friendliness, untouched, and in fact shining more brightly, no longer encumbered by these false facsimiles of love and compassion.
Imagine this person becoming free. identifying the true causes of genuine happiness, then casting off all attachment to everything that is not a true cause of happiness. Now release the appearance of this person back into the space of your mind. and simply resting awareness in its own nature, but illuminating, continuing to illuminate the space of the mind. Simply see who comes, I like to say, knocking at your door. Who comes to mind spontaneously? Inviting themselves into your own space of awareness. Whoever comes knocking, whoever comes and appears in the space of your mind, attend closely. Again, attending not simply to an appearance, attend to the person or persons or region of of the globe where there's much suffering because of attachment and craving. Practice as before. And let your attention rove at will. And for a while, let's practice in silence.
then release all mental imagery, all objects of the mind, and all aspirations. And for a very short time, simply let your awareness rest in its own nature, naturally pure, clear, luminous. Uh, I have a little tiny technical problem with the app. um, So if anybody knows a lot about apps, I do have an an iPhone. Probably take you 10 seconds to figure it out. It would take me about three countless eons. (laughs) I'm not good for that kind of thing. And so uh, I'll just step outside. If anybody knows about apps, it's a pretty small thing, but I don't know how to fix it. Besides that, I wish everybody a good day. Enjoy your day, and I'll see you at 4.30 this afternoon.